Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, good morning, everybody. Now that I've got George Jackson's attention, we can go ahead and get started. Uh, we'll get started this morning with our scripture memory passage review. So uh, three different verses today. Uh, one of them is as long as those long verses in Ezra. If anybody ever asks you to memorize a verse in Ezra, then you should ask them for another book of the Bible because they're really, really long. Uh, verses there, but uh, if you got any of these memorized, then we'd love to knock this out. So we've got Revelation 24, 5 and or 6 going once. Oh, there she is. See, you're out of my field of vision today. I got to scoot way back so I can see. So you can't even see the screen from there, can you? Oh, okay. So you skipped four. Four is the crazy long one, yeah. All right, let's do it. Yes. This was the first resurrection. Yes. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But he shall reign with he shall be a priest with God and with Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Yes, very good. I forget the priest part too, but it's really, really important because if you don't have that and you're leaving out this big chunk of what Jesus does, so this is good. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. All right. Let's jump right back in. Uh, so two weeks ago, we did week two of the Doctrine of the Future and uh, looking at the last of the seven major doctrines in Grudem's Systematic Theology book. Uh, I made an awful joke two weeks ago that we went back to the future. So today, then, of course, has to be back to the future part two. Um, it's only going to get worse. Uh, it's only going to get worse. So... Let's take a look at a couple of different things. Uh, Grudem, in, in traditional Grudem format, starts off with looking at what does the Scripture say about a particular topic. So before we jump into that, though, I want to make sure you look at the title of today's lesson. And it's chapter 56 at the top of the handout. The Final Judgment and Eternal Punishment. So this lesson is really two almost completely different topics kind of mashed into one chapter. So when, it, when we get to point G and it feels like I take a left turn, it, it's because we've got two completely different topics here that we got put in one chapter. Uh, also, we're talking about the final judgment. And there's some discussion and some debate as to whether or not this all happens at once or this happens in two different places. Uh, and we'll look at both of those options as we go through uh, today. So the first blank in your handout there is point A, the fact of final judgment. The fact of final judgment. So we've got several different scriptures that we want to look at this morning. Uh, the first of which is Revelation 20, kind of the, the core text for today. Uh, two weeks ago when we looked at the millennium, we looked at Revelation 20 verses 1 through 10, and we'll pick it up with verses 11 through 15 today. So who's got Revelation 20, 11 through 15? Mr. Arley, you got it? All right, let's do it. Then I saw a great white throne and him who 
sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. <clears throat> the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's right. So a, a very sobering text today. And if you, if you look at the 57 chapters in Grudem's Systematic Theology textbook, today's is the most serious, most... Uh, heavy, hard-to-get-through, difficult uh, concept, uh, because we are going to talk about judgment, and we're going to talk about hell. Uh, and both of those are realities, and both of those are things that we tend to want to avoid. So, so I'll, I'll step back out of the lesson for just a second, talk about how we typically approach things. So how do we typically approach life? Well, we, I, I'm Jim. We tip, I, Jim typically approaches life by what is the path of least resistance, what is the easiest option? What is the simplest way? What causes me the least amount of pain? Right? Does anybody go through life and say, I want as much pain as possible. Bring on the pain. No, I don't, I don't like pain. I want to avoid confrontation because it's awkward and I don't particularly care for it that much. But when it has to be done, we'll go take care of it. Uh, and I certainly want to avoid physical pain. So what we're talking about in today's lesson is ultimate confrontation with the judge of the universe and eternal punishment. So this, this is literally what many of us spend our entire lives trying to avoid. So when you look at the text and we feel this, uh, I watched Darla as she was reading and I watched some of your body language as she was reading it and you kind of squirm a little bit and it was like, well, that's just not comfortable. No, this is not comfortable at all, but it is absolutely required. Uh, so let's flip over to the second uh, piece of text here, Acts 17, 30 and 31. And there's, there's just gobs and gobs and gobs of verses about uh, judgment, but uh, I just want to establish a couple here. So Acts 17, 30, and 31. You got it? Awesome. Surely these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by rising, raising him from the dead. Absolutely. So, so a day of judgment is coming. It, it is not avoidable. It is not something we can put off. It's not something, you know, I, I have a, a calendar that I keep on my phone and uh, I look at the events usually uh, early in the weekend for the upcoming week and look at the events for the next week and look at it and say, you know, there's some things on here that I don't particularly think that we actually need to do that we had planned and I may delete some things and that just means I'm just not going to go to them anymore. But I don't, I don't get to delete that day out of God's calendar. That day is coming at some point, and it is a serious day. And it, it will not necessarily be uh, a happy day for some. It will be a, a horrible day for some, but it, that day is coming. Uh, so Grudem makes a couple points here. So the scripture evidence for final judgment. Uh, and then he asks the question, will there be more than one judgment? Uh, and this is something that uh, I want to show you a picture. I showed you this picture, I think, two weeks ago. And a uh, couple of things here. So this is kind of as 
complex, not as complex, it's one view of the complexity of the end times. So we start over there on the left uh, with the church age. We're currently in the church age. Uh, there's going to be some type of a resurrection. There's going to be some type of a tribulation. There's going to be some type of a return. There's going to be a millennial reign where uh, Jesus Christ reigns on the earth. There's The seat here is the judgment seat. Uh, and then there is the eternal state. So at some point in the future, there will be trouble. There will be a millennial reign. There will be a judgment. The question is... Does all of the judging take place here, or does some of it take place back over here as well? And depending upon your view of Scripture, some of it takes place back over here, or all of it takes place here. And this is, uh, there's a couple different reasons for this. So flip over to Matthew 25, and I'll show you one of the, one of the perspectives here. So we've talked several times as we've, as we've gone through Grudem's text about dispensationalism, which is a word that um, I cannot spell, uh, but that's okay because spell check uh, have added it to word and it, it knows what it's supposed to say now. So, Dave, you got the Matthew text? Yeah. Awesome. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and his holy angels with him, and when he sit in the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him and will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep and his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those in his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom and prepare uh, a kingdom uh, prepared for you since the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, uh, and, you, uh, and you visited me, and I was in prison, you, uh, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, or give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and, or in prison and come to you? And the king answered him, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these, uh, one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the uh, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. And you, I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also answered him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer him, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous, uh, but the righteous into eternal life. There you go. So the question is, are the passages in Matthew 25 and Revelation 20 talking about the same day, or are they not? And if you answer, yes, they are talking about the same day, then your picture looks a certain way. And if you say, no, they are not talking about the same day, then your picture looks a little bit differently. The reality is there is coming a day when the judge of the universe will stand and judge. And if we put part of it here and part of it here, 
or all of it here, it doesn't negate the fact that judgment is coming. And that is what I want to focus on this morning. Because if I open up the can of let's discuss these two options, we will literally be here for three weeks because it is a long, long hole. Hi, my name is Jim. I do not understand all of it. I have studied this several different times. Intellectually, it baffles me. I have not wrapped my head around it yet. So that is where your Sunday school teacher is. I'm glad that we only have one week to do it because that means by necessity I don't have time to get into it. So it is what it is. Uh, So let's jump down to uh, point B. So we've established that the fact that there is going to be a judgment. So B, the time of final judgment. The time of final judgment. I want to go back to Revelation 20 uh, and read verses 1 through 11. This was last, this is two weeks ago's text. Um, and there are, there are folks that look at the book of Revelation and say it is all allegorical, it is all a picture, it is all representative of something else. Um, and my challenge with that is that some of the language is very specific in relation to time. Something happens, and then something else happens, and then something else happens, and then something else happens. It is too concrete a language to use if it was all uh, theoretical or all representative of something else. So who's got Revelation 20, uh, 1 through 11? You got it? Awesome. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to a bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after those things... But when? Pardon? But when? So that... After, right? That he should deceive the nations no more. So after the thousand years, this is our thousand years, after the thousand years... Now let's keep going. After a thousand years were finished, but after these things, he must be released for a little while. Right. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and they saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who hath part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw the great <clears throat> then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth fled from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. 
do you see the order? There is an order and a structure to things that are happening in Revelation chapter 20. And some things happen before other things. This is just the reality of the way this works. So the time of final judgment, this final judgment will occur after the millennium and the rebellion that occurs at the end of it. So there's some... uh, if you, if you think about, um, I want to say this. Have you ever put a child in timeout? Does the child enjoy timeout? Does the child have any real substantive power? Like ability to really affect change and alter environments in a real serious way? Not really. I mean, they're children, right? They're small people. They can make a lot of noise. But if you think about putting Satan somewhere for a thousand years, I'm going to take a guess that he's not going to be happy during the thousand years. And when he gets out, it will not be a pleasant experience. It will be ugly and rough. And these very few verses that we have that talk about he gets out and there's a rebellion. And then after that, there's a judgment. Jesus is going to deal with it, and it will be the last time it will be dealt with, and it will be done forever, and then we will enter into the eternal state. So sometimes we look around the world, and we see glimmers and glimpses of good and positive and wonderful things, but please understand, it is going to get very ugly at some point in the tribulation, and it is going to get extremely ugly after the millennium. When... Satan is released and Jesus will deal with it because that's what he does. So let's keep going. So see the nature of final judgment. So a couple of the details, some of the things about how this actually works. Uh, So Jesus Christ will be the judge. Uh, We read earlier in the Acts 17 text, the man. And if you were reading along in that text, you saw that the man was capitalized. Uh, There's verses in Timothy and Acts and Matthew and John that all talk about Jesus Christ will be the one that judges. Uh, and if you, if you think about Jesus' role in uh, the salvific process, in, in all of redemption, you know, he is the sacrifice, he took the wrath of God, and he will judge those, all of us, those who either accepted him as the sacrifice or rejected him as the sacrifice. So the sacrifice is also the judge. And what we do with the sacrifice impacts what the judge does with us. It's incredibly connected concepts. These are not, oh, Jesus has one little role over here and he fulfills this box and it's disconnected from everything else that he does. No, no, they are very, very connected concepts. So Jesus is going to be the judge. Uh, Number two, obviously unbelievers will be judged. So you look at Revelation 20 verse 12. What's 20 verse 12 say? Mitch, you got it there? saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So there's books, right? And, and um, sometimes, uh, sometimes, it makes me laugh sometimes that people that uh, have no desire in any way, shape, or form to... Uh, laugh is probably the wrong word. Um, it aggravates me sometimes, folks that have no desire in any way, shape, or form to add to what is available to know about God and His Word. And they say, I've got everything that I need with this. Well, 
like there's verses in the New Testament where Paul says there's stuff that I need you to go get me to, to bring and read because they're beneficial to me. And God wrote other books. And we don't have access to those right now, but those will be open and the information in them will be made very plain one day. And if your name is in the book of life, you're good to go. And if your name is not in the book of life, you are not good to go. Um, and, and I want to I point something out on our uh, graphic today. So what we're talking about today is the final judgment, but there's an eternal state and there's only two places on this that you can be. But there's a positive side to this line and there's a negative side to this line. And the negative side to this line is hell. And the positive side to this line is heaven. And you are going to be in one of these two based off of if your name is in that book. And if this sounds shockingly unfair to you, um, it's not. It is, it is appallingly unfair. It is egregiously unfair that any of us should ever get to be included above the line. This is the reality of the universe, is that we all deserve the punishment. And the fact that there is any name whatsoever in the Lamb's Book of Life is stunningly beautiful. And this is what drives us. This is what amazes me every time that I study this, this concept, and that, that this is much more than just judgment. This is um, this is utter amazement to me. So verse, let's keep going. Verse 13. You got verse 13 there? The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to their works. They were judged according to their works. So your destination is dependent upon whether you're in the Lamb's Book of Life or not. The severity of your destination is judged upon your works. So this is how we can wrap our heads around uh, the statements that Jesus makes about it's better that so-and-so was not uh, even born than they had done this particular thing because it will be worse for them because of that. So when you see evil incarnate in the world like a Hitler or a Stalin or someone who is just evil, 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 hell will be worse for them than for someone who was not that degree of evil. And I, I can't wrap my head around that. I, I don't understand that. Because apart from God, that is awful. Right? I mean, we are, we are in a whole different perspective at this point. However, this is what the Scripture teaches. And it doesn't matter if my mathematical brain can make the numbers add up or not. This is what the actual text says. So we, we need to be aware that unbelievers will be judged, uh, but believers will be judged as well. So Romans 14, uh, 10 and 12 so I want to make sure that we understand that we're not judged the same way. So if you ever hear um, folks say that you have to be concerned or nervous as a believer before you when you stand before God, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because my sacrifice knows exactly what I did with him. Uh, and, and he is utterly aware of that. So Romans 14, 10, and 12. So who was Romans written to? The Romans, right? These are believers? Yeah, this is, sorry. You've got to have at least one easy question in Sunday school, right? So Romans 14, 10, and 12. Who's got it? Yes, ma'am. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Who will? We all will. We all will, yeah. And he's specifically talking, he's writing a letter to believers, and the context is believers, 
So this is not a, well, that's not really what the, con- no, the verse context says it is, right? So we're going to stand before, ju- okay, good? Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Now, let's make sure we understand the difference between a believer's judgment and an unbeliever's judgment. Because an unbeliever's judgment is, this is the result, below the line, hell. A believer has no cause for concern when standing before God. Because Jesus has already dealt with the wrath of God. See, the wrath of God has to be dealt with in every single human being's life. It will either be poured out on Jesus or it will be poured out on you. And we get to decide, we get to participate in that decision process, which is, again, utterly unbelievable to me. So can you flip back to Romans uh, 8 verse 1? Because this is important here. We've got to make sure we go back and get the context, right? Because I don't, I, I, we cannot walk out of here scared to stand before God. He is our Father. It's a highlight. Good. I'm glad it's a highlighted one. <laughs> Go for it. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong. To yeah, but just a little, right? I mean, it no means just a little in the Greek, right? I mean, it's just because it's just, we're going to stand there. So there's some condemnation, right? I mean, if you're standing there to be judged, there's some condemnation, right? What does the verse say? There is no, no condemnation. We will not be condemned when standing before our God. Now, this is... If you want to think about something that is hard to wrap your head around, think about all the times in the Old Testament when the physical presence of God showed up and uh, people ran and people hid and people turned away and people died because it was just too much. It was overwhelming. It was not something that you could be around. And yet we, in in chapter 14, are going to stand before God one day and there's no condemnation. And if there's no condemnation, there's no fear. Don't you be scared, believer. Don't you be scared. This is a good thing. This is the God of the universe demonstrating His justice once and for all over His universe. It is a good thing. It is a good thing. So, unbelievers will be judged. Uh, believers will be judged. Let's keep going. So, D, uh, the necessity... Actually, I skipped over some stuff there. So, number four, angels will be judged. Uh, and if you think that's kind of a weird concept, it gets even weirder. We participate in the judgment of angels. What? <laughs> if the text didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. But there's three different verses there that talk about like our participation in the judgment of angels, which make another note of things that I don't understand. But this is what the text says, so it is, it is good and it is right. Uh, but number five, we will help in the work of judgment. And if you think that sounds kind of weird, this is what God has been doing all of history. Right? So his people get released from Egypt, and what does he do? He gives Moses the, yeah, here's, here's how to live out here. And oh, by the way, Moses, when there's a discussion or dispute, you're to sit in judgment of them. And then you're to go find other people to help you sit in judgment of them. And then there's this whole period of time where the leadership of Israel was governed by what? Judges. Judges. Yeah, there's a whole book, right? We have a whole book of the Bible that describes how this actually functions. So at the end of all things, when Jesus uses something that he has already done before, it shouldn't shock us and go, what? Yeah, he's done this before. Judges were a shadow of things to come. This is the way it all works. It is beautiful. 
I can't wait to get on this end and go, oh, that's what that was. Oh, this makes all kinds of sense. Yes, Dave. It kind of makes sense, though, because we were created in God's image. And if God is just... Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just not our position now. That's exactly right. We fell... like. That's going to squeal if I go too far. We fell way over here, right? And we broke it and we wrecked it all. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's all kinds of fun stuff that we can go in there. Sorry. So the, the necessity of final judgment. Um, what would happen if God did not judge? If we just skipped over this part and we just let evil just kind of be? He wouldn't be a just God. Wouldn't be a loving God. He would have, that would have meant that the cross didn't really mean anything. Because you didn't really have to satisfy his wrath back here. Because you can just kind of let it go forever and it's not a big deal. If God doesn't judge, he invalidates the cross. This is a problem. The, the judgment is a big deal. It is required. It is uh, necessitated. So there's, uh, there's justice of God in the final judgment. Romans 2.11. Who's got that? Romans 2.11. Yes, ma'am, Sherry. But you sure? Because you know George Jackson's a pretty good speaker, and I think he ought to get credit for that when he stands before God. And you know, your your what? Your good looks? I'm not going there. Yeah. There's a little partiality though, right? I mean, he's got favorites. Every dad has favorites. Not my father. Which is great, right? Because can you imagine if God plays favorites on this day? If he plays favorites on something based other than the finished work of Jesus Christ, because that's how he plays favorites. He plays favorites based on the cross. Because he's already identified his own. He's already adopted his own. So there's some moral applications of the final judgment. I think these are really interesting. Uh, Number one, the doctrine of final judgment satisfies our inward sense of a need for justice in the world. Does it not drive you up the wall when you see injustice in the world and it goes unpunished? There's something deep in us that says that is not right. This needs judgment. This needs a decision. This needs something to be resolved. Everything gets resolved here. It's all resolved. It's that movie that would have been just a little bit better if they'd have done one more step and not left that one loose thread. There's no loose threads after the judgment seat. None. They are all tied up. Everything is exactly where it is supposed to be. So it's this inward sense of a need for justice that gets satisfied. Number two, the doctrine of final judgment enables us to forgive others freely. Because it's not my job. I should say that in the mirror ten times a day. It is not my job. Final judgment is not my job. When I hand that over to the Lord, I can forgive. Uh, Number three, the doctrine of final judgment provides a motive for righteous living. There is some measure of restraint in the world even amongst evil people because there is a sense inside of us that judgment is coming at some point. Right? Like there's a sense that, you know, some, I, don't, I don't know that I want to do that because that's, 
you know, whether it's karma or whether it's this or that, there's some sense of fairness and equity in, in the world. And it can provide a motive for righteous living. That, to me, this is similar to uh, the concept of uh, common grace. Remember when we talked about common grace? How this is the, the grace that is extended to everybody that enables the world to exist, that we are not instantly transported forward to the time of final judgment and God just deals with everything. Common grace enables us to be able to live until we get to final judgment. Um, these are good, helpful things. And number four, the doctrine of final judgment provides a great motive for evangelism. For evangelism. So 2 Peter 3, 9. He's got 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. Yeah. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Yeah. So we're talking about when is Jesus coming back? Why is it taking... And this is, you know, Second Peter, right? So this is... It is, but timeline-wise, Second Peter was you know, almost 2,000 years ago. We're, we're incredibly close to the time that Jesus left. But he tarries for us to do something with that time. He does not tarry for us to waste that time. He tarries for us to go and do uh, and to help build uh, his kingdom. All right, so that's the first part of the lesson. The second part of the lesson we'll do in 45 seconds. So here we go. Uh, hell... Uh, is a place of, there's three words that are incredibly important, because if you, if you eliminate any one of these three, then you diminish the doctrine of hell. Eternal, conscious punishment. And there are all sorts of folks that want to argue and say that one or all of those words do not matter. Hell is eternal. Uh, we saw this in Revelation 20. It goes on forever and ever and ever. Uh, it is conscious. There are several different spots in Scripture, uh, in Matthew and Mark and in Luke, that talk about those that are in hell are aware of what is going on. Uh, they are able to communicate. Um, and then it is punishment. It is. You think back to the, the rich man in Lazarus. Um, and what did the man beg for? How much water? Just a, drop. a drop. So I have a water bottle. I'm going to fill the cap up with my water bottle. You can beg for anything you want. You can beg for anything you want. And that's what you beg for. What kind of a state do you have to be in that that is what you beg for? Do we not have a, just a, a tip of the iceberg of an example of fire recently in our area? And what did we pray for? We prayed for rain. And what is God doing right now? And how many days of this will be required of steady, slow rain to put out the fires? Days, and this is what he begged for. I can't imagine how bad this is. This spurs us on. If you ever need motivation to share Jesus with someone, put your finger in a, in a container of water. Just a drop. This is what he begged for. Eternal conscious punishment. 
So we'll end with one sentence here. The last blank on your handout, I believe. Uh, Grudem asked the question, what are we to think of this doctrine? God has put in our hearts a portion of his own love for people created in his image, even his love for sinners who rebel against him. Whatever God has in his wisdom ordained and taught in Scripture is right. It's not easy. This is not an easy thing to talk about. Final judgment. But it is required. For God to be holy and just, it is required. For us... To see God fix it all. No more loose ends at that point. Every tear is wiped away. Everything is set up for the greatest lesson of all 57, which is next week. And I am thrilled to teach it on heaven. Because there is an other side to this line. And please, please, please don't miss it. Now, in the notes for today's lesson, uh, Grudem talks extensively about the idea of annihilationism. And I still don't say it right. Annihilationism. Yes, I got it. All right. The idea is that hell forever is too bad. This is just too evil. It is too bad. It is too wrong. It is too rough. You can't reconcile it with the love of God. And you will hear people that you know say things like that. And that is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. And Grudem lays out really clear points as to why that is wrong. And I would encourage you, if you want to know more about that, go to the notes, the teacher notes. There's gobs of stuff there for that. Uh, good information to know. So, and it's, it's not a highly technical response. It is logical. It uses scripture. It is very easy to follow. So I would encourage you to be aware of that. Now, I know of no way to land the plane uh, Educationally speaking, after talking about the doctrine of hell, other than to say that is the Sunday school lesson for today. Please make sure that you are right with God. You don't want any part of this. You want to be on the other side of that line. So as we transition into the end of the class today, I will tell you uh, that we have an opportunity today. You, you may have noticed if you've been in the sanctuary already that the sanctuary is not decorated for Christmas yet. Uh, we have an opportunity to fix that this afternoon. So at about one o'clock, several of us are coming back to this campus. And if you want to pitch in and help out for maybe an hour or two and help decorate the sanctuary for Christmas, then we'll have all that stuff available and you can help out and participate. So we'll go eat lunch somewhere and come back and have fun. And there's no church tonight in any way, shape, or form at this location. So there's nothing that's holding us up and no time constraints there. So it should be a good time and we'll go do that. So transition from hell to Christmas decorations. That's <clears throat> some of you may think they're the same, but they're really not. So it's, it's substantially different. So all right, so, sorry, I'm struggling this morning. I'm struggling this morning. So you got your weekly update? At, what's that? Yeah, there you go. Transition to the weekly update. Pray as a group, and you are dismissed. Thanks for coming today, guys.